Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and all major podcast providers. So if you can't catch the show live, you can download it or simply use our free podcast player, which is available on our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to connect with us, please post your question on our wall on Facebook or send me a tweet at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's Finest Naturally, authentic pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at organicuniverse.com. Listeners of the Organic View can receive $1 off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website to submit your information for our free monthly giveaways. For more information, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com forward slash contests. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk to commercial migratory beekeeper Dave Hackenberg about a new lawsuit in which the EPA is being sued over failed oversight of neonicotinoid-coated seeds. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June, and good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon. And our guest today, Mr. Dave Hackenberg. Dave, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Dave, it's been a while since you've been on the show, but... Could you take a few minutes and share with our listeners a little bit about your operation? Well, my name is Dave Hackenberg, and along with my son and my wife, we run a beekeeping operation based out of Pennsylvania. Uh, we actually run bees in six states uh, for pollination of crops, as well as honey production. I've been keeping bees since I've been a young guy. Actually, I started keeping bees in 1962 as a high school voag project, so I've been at it for over 50 years, uh, we pollinate almonds in California, we pollinate blueberries in Georgia, we pollinate blueberries in Maine, uh, Pennsylvania, we pollinate pumpkins as well as fruit uh, and vegetables, uh, we produce honey in upstate New York in the summertime, uh, and we do winter some bees in Florida at, at, before all the issues with uh, citrus greening and other issues in Florida, we, we used to produce a lot of citrus honey, but uh, a lot of things have changed, and uh, today we're basically pollinators, we, we run not only our own bees, but we lease other folks' bees for, for pollination, especially for blueberries in the Northeast. Thank you. Dave, this is not the first lawsuit against the EPA that you've been involved with. What is this suit about, and how will it differ from the previous suits? Well, this lawsuit uh, that we filed yesterday, uh, myself, two other beekeepers, and several farmers, and a couple other groups, is against EPA in the fact that seed coated treatments with neonics, which has been going on for quite a few years now, are not registered. The, the, the seed treatment, the, the pesticide, is not being registered. It's, it's they're called an EPA's called it a seed coating, and so we're basically leaving all this pesticide put out, being put out there in our environment with no control. Uh, there's no there's no label on the bag, on the seed bag, that's even a pesticide. Uh, most pesticides, all pesticides that are regulated, you, if you're an applicator, you have to be certified to use that pesticide and know what you're doing. In this case, 
a lot of farmers don't even realize that what they're planting as this seed-coated seed is. I know a lot of farmers that have no idea that this seed is even coated with a pesticide. So, uh, and we this is basically putting a lot of pesticide into our environment that nobody has any record of. We have no, EPA really has no record, the government has no record of how much of this product is really going out there and being put in our environment. And so, uh, under FIFRA, the, the uh, the uh, Federal Insect Rodent Act, you know, uh, it requires that EPA registers all pesticides. And so for quite a few years now, as, as long as we've had seed treatment, EPA has been just basically not doing their job. You mentioned that in the suit there are farmers that are involved. How are neonicotinoids affecting farmers? Well, you know what? Uh, there are farmers involved in the, in the lawsuit, and and, uh, and I'm sure as we go along here, there's going to be other farmers and even farm organizations and groups sign on to this lawsuit, as well as we expect other beekeepers and, and beekeeping organizations to probably sign on as co-signers of the suit. But farmers are basically being told what they can do and what they can't do by the chemical companies and the seed companies and the fact that they've basically taken, taken away the non-treated seed and basically being forced to use treated seed. And over time, as and and I'm not only a beekeeper, but I'm a landowner. I don't I don't farm it myself. I'm you know I, I rent the land out to to farmers. In fact, one of the gentlemen signed the lawsuit, Lucas Criswell, him and his father Bill are actually people that farm my land. And you know. What we have found is that the fact that after a number of years of, of, of using this seed-treated seed that we have killed, we have basically killed the microbes, we have killed the fishworms, we have we have basically ruined our soil. And, you know, we're only given that soil, you know, your farm, you know, you, you're, we're the caretakers of land. I mean, we're the farmer, we're the caretakers of land. And if if we kill that soil and we have nothing there, there's no... There's nothing there, the, the microbes and, and all the other living organisms are in that soil to, to make that soil work and to make that soil a living matter so we can grow our crops in it. And if the soil's dead, uh, we got ourselves a problem. And so this is why farmers are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, we've been sold a bill of goods here about how great this stuff is and, you know, several years down the road all of a sudden we're finding out that that's not, you know, the deal we were sold. Dave, I think it's important for the listeners to understand the magnitude of this issue. This isn't just incidental or minor use of a pesticide. Could you elaborate a little bit on just how much of this uh, seed treatment is being used and how many acres it involves? Well, and you're right, Tom. This is, it's kind of, at some point in in the past number of years, we are right now at 90-some million acres of corn in the United States. Uh, that's probably about a 35 or 40 percent increase to where we were several years ago when commodity prices rose up. We started planting more corn. Soybeans uh, were probably in the 50 million acre range, give or take. And canola, you know, I don't know exactly where the acreage numbers are. It's probably... 25, 30 million acres, but all these acres, or a large portion of these acres, probably 80 to 90 percent of these acres, depending on which crop you talk about, have been in the last number of years 
uh, all seed treated. Now, scientists at a number of our major universities and even some USDA scientists will tell you that, and basically the seed coating is, is put there to take care of things like wireworm and rootworm and, and aphids on soybeans and so on. Uh, but our scientists, some of our scientists at universities will tell us that probably only about 10% of the soils in the United States benefit at all from uh, the use of seed treatment. So basically, we're putting this on 90% more ground than it needs to be. Or and, it, and in reality, there's other products. I mean, as a farmer, we do need some chemicals to farm. But there are, there are other things out there that are softer chemicals that we could be using in other methods. We could also go back, as we are doing in our own operation, we're going back to the point where we're, we're planting a lot of cover crops, heavy what we call heavy cover crops, uh, tubular radishes, a lot of rye and other things that we let go in the spring, and we, we're planting in this green matter, which gives green manure to our corn, soybean crops. Even, and getting back to the seed treatment here, even even a year ago in October, EPA came out and made the statement, Jim Jones, the assistant director of EPA, made the statement that even seed coating on soybeans was basically probably an economic loss for farmers. Uh, the chemical company sure didn't like that, but... I mean, EPA even come out and admitted it. But the fact of the matter is that's not what the suit's all about. The suit's about the fact that EPA has not done their job in regulating and registering seed treatment as a pesticide, which it is. They have the uh, uh, declined to investigate the seed treatment or register the seed treatment under the treated item exemption. Can you explain what that is? Well, several years back, you know, when chemical companies were headed in this direction with seed treatment, you know, they went, did their homework, got some laws passed that basically exempted seed treatment. I mean, they 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 knew where they were headed a long time ago before they got there, and so they had some laws passed that basically said that treated seeds were exempt were exempt from pesticide registration and I mean I guess if in certain cases it might might have been okay but in my from where I sit as a farmer and as also a beekeeper you know if I'm going to use a pesticide I think they all need registered I mean I even any I mean even the ones we're using for kill mites you know to take care of the mites and the bees you know we're, we're, we we need to know what's being out there and what's being used and how much of it's being used so we know what's going on in our environment. And, but, you know, unfortunately, the, you know, the chemical companies got these laws passed by hook or crook. And so when, you know, the great use of so much seed treatment came down the road, they, you know, EPA being pressured, being pressured by the chemical companies are using this, uh, treated exemption clause in there to basically say we don't need to uh, register seed treatment. Dave, can you talk about your own losses? What is the state of your business? Our own beekeeping operation, you know, and and our losses have been horrendous, I guess is the right word, since systemic pesticides come on the market. Beekeepers are notorious for not keeping good records, but for some reasons and reasons that 
basically because of federal government programs and other things, I guess I became a better record keeper than a lot of beekeepers did over the years. And so I have a lot of records. I have I have death loss records going back into the early 90s uh, of what my operation is. I have my wife who kept a lot of notes and memos over the years and since we've been in business together since since time of the early six the late sixties when her and I got married has a lot of notes from what our numbers were and where our losses were and so on and so forth. But as a statement I made and came out in the press yesterday and also is the fact that I have lost more bees in the last ten years to neonic seed treated effects one way or the other that I lost in the first 40 years totally combined of all the bees I lost from all causes. But we have seen our normal bee losses in a commercial beekeeping operation like my own runs normally used to run 17 to 20, 25%, which to most beekeepers, even before, before our problems started to develop, 17 to 25% was pretty high. But the kind of operation that we run where we're migratory and continually moving bees from one crop to another and one pollination to another, uh, you've seen a lot more losses from queenlessness and so on, or picking bees up and setting them on trucks and, and putting them down and so on, and there's a lot of things a lot of things involved. But when systemic pesticides came on the market and without within three years of the time that they started using seed treatment in northeastern United States, where I'm based in the summer months, I see my losses jump the first, in that first, uh, I got to go back and look at the years, but uh, somewhere around 2004 or 5, uh, we've seen our losses jump into the 35 and 40 percent. The next year it was 55 and 60 percent. Uh, by 06, we were looking at, at losses in the 78 percent losses. Today, a lot of us in this bee industry are looking at losses of over 100 percent losses a year. You say, how can you stay in business? Well, we continually make bees. Uh, and when I say we had over 100% losses or even 200% losses like a lot, of, a lot of us are, what I'm saying is if I'm running 1,000 hives of bees, to run that 1,000 hives of bees, I made 2,000 or 3,000 new ones up this year to stay ahead of my losses. And so this is, you know, it's not really economical, economically feasible. Uh, the good news, I mean, we're still financially in our operation in not too bad a shape because we have passed all these costs on to our pollinating customers who in, ten, who in return are passing these costs on to the consumer through the price of the food they buy. Uh, and But, you know, mentally it's really distressing because... If you're a beekeeper or you're a dairy farmer or a chicken farmer or whatever, you know, you're attached to what you're doing. It's not like you out there, you got a job and you go to this job and you're not attached to that job. As a farmer, you get attached, you're attached to what you're doing. It's not, I can't, I can't be changing jobs every six months or every five years like most of the people in your listening audience. I mean, when you're in, you know, like I said in the beginning, I've been at this for 50 years. You've got a commitment. You have a huge investment. You can't walk away from it. Uh, it's just like 
I don't farm my own soil. My my best friend and his son are you know are farming the ground, but I got an attachment to that ground. I got an attachment to that farm. You know, I'm concerned about about that soil. I'm concerned about what's in the ground. I'm concerned about you know is it going to be there? Is that gland going to be there for my grandkids? It's a whole different, you know, we're talking, when we talk about the farmers and beekeepers, you know, we, we, we're attached to what we're doing. You know, it, it's, a, it's a different mentality. Dave, do you think when it comes to commercial beekeeping, has the industry gotten to the point where beekeepers have to choose whether or not they're going to focus on pollination or focus on honey, or do they still have the opportunity to to do both at this point? Beekeepers still have an opportunity to do both at this point, but unfortunately, it's pretty. It's 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 the point where you can pretty much look down the road and see that you're either going to have to choose one or the other. Uh, the thing with pollination is we the demand is huge. It's going to take 200, roughly 200 million hives of bees in California this year to pollinate the almond crop. It's pretty. At this point, we're we're still a month, a little over a month out from almond pollination, but it's just I'm here in Jacksonville at the National American Beekeeping Federation meeting and standing around in the halls this morning talking to guys that are heavily involved in pollination in California and bee brokers and so on, it's it's pretty evident that we're going to come up short this year in California. We're not going to reach that 1.8 or 2, 2 million, whatever the magic number is that they need for bees in California because of our losses. So there's, you know, demand raises the price, uh, you know, and that goes on to same thing with apples and blueberries and so on and so forth. But, Unfortunately, as we go to these crops and pollinate these crops, basically what you got to do is when you come back from these crops is you got to go into a total rebuilt mode to rebuild these colonies to get ready for the next for the next uh, pollination, whatever that might be. It's not like years ago when going to a pollination crop was actually a good thing because it built the bees up. The bees got good pollen from whether it was the almonds or the blueberries or the apples or whatever, they, they picked up some good pollen, the bees build up and came out of their real nice shape, and then we went on to produce honey. The problem now is that we're using, the growers are using so many fungicides and so many pesticides, and maybe not while we're there, but they're using these, these ahead of us, ahead of us or behind us, and there's a lingering effect in those, in those orchards and in those, in those crops that, that the chemicals are still there months later and our bees are picking this stuff up and taking it home. It, it's you know it's not just me saying this. This is what the scientists are finding uh, when they go look at the pollen. They're finding they're finding six months later they're still finding the effects of what it, six months after almonds they're still finding the effects in that beehive of what of what we picked up in the almond orchards in California. Now, Dave, for smaller commercial operations such as what Tom does. We're seeing so many of these operations just shut down. What protection really is there? It used to be that the label was the law when it came to applying any of these chemicals. So is there any language as far as the label that 
is helpful for the beekeepers? Well, we still contend. We still contend that the label is law, and, but unfortunately, nobody's enforcing the label. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, like a lot of things, just like the people that are out here listening today, when you go to the store and you buy a chemical or buy anything, you very seldom read the label. Uh, or somebody else tells you how to use it, whether it's something you're using for pain in your back or whatever, somebody else tells you how to use it, and that's what you do. I have sat down with many farmers and farm meetings and so on and asked questions, you know, over a table or supper or a, a supper meeting or something. And, you know, so do you understand what the label says when the label says do not apply at certain times and certain hours? And most of these farmers will tell you, I never read the label. So in most cases, the labels we have today, some of them are pretty vague, but if the label was followed in most cases, we would we would be a lot better off. Unfortunately, in the, in the case with, with, with corn, I mean, with, with seed treatment here, not only on corn, but soybeans and, and the rest of the seed treatments, there is no warning label there whatsoever because of the fact that this is not a registered product. And so just to put up even, I mean, I, I run into farmers on a regular basis that have no idea that that seed treatment they're putting out there is a pesticide. They're being told, well, it makes my, you'll make your crop grow better. Well, maybe it will and maybe it won't. But the thing of it is, they don't even understand that that red coating on their corn or blue coating or whatever color it is, is a pesticide. I have a young, I have a young neighbor, farmer, probably in his early 30, late 30s, early 40s, that he farms his grandfather. It's my neighbor right next door. He farms his grandfather's land there, but his grandmother's grandfather's passed away. But his grandmother told me, she said, you know, Matt, you need to talk to Matt. He takes and runs his hands through that stuff, and then he wipes his face off on a, you know, on a hot day. And I had a discussion with this young man, and he said, his answer to me was, well, if it was a pesticide, they'd have to put it on the label. Well, he's absolutely right. But the fact is, we haven't put it on the label. There is no label. There is no pesticide label on a bag of corn or a bag of soybeans or a bin of soybeans or corn, whichever. So we have basically circumvented the law here in the fact that the, the you know we're not educating the farmer, the grower, the applicator, because he has no idea what he's even dealing with. Dave, uh, it's not clear to me. Uh, one of the primary focuses of the suit is labeling of this treated seeds, but it's not clear to me how that will alter the circumstances and reduce the damages. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I really think that there's a lot of farmers today that are starting to, because of commodity prices and other things, they're starting to really look at what they're doing. Uh, and Basically, like I just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of farmers out there who really don't even have an idea what they're using. I mean, this is, I mean, atrazine's been off the market for years. I mean, it's still around, and we still pick it up in our water supplies. But there's farmers out there that have, have mentioned to myself and other people that, well, you know, it's just another form of atrazine. Well, it's not another form of atrazine. Uh, so maybe, I mean, you've got to educate people uh, in... I really think that down the road we're going to see some major changes 
in agriculture and how, I mean, there's always going to be people out there that's going to look for a shortcut and, you know, they're being sold the, sold the bill of goods that seed treatment's a shortcut. But there's a lot of concern, a lot of concerned farmers out there, a lot more concerned farmers today than there was a year ago or two years ago about the fact that their soil is not living anymore. And they're starting to ask questions why their soil is dead. And like I said before, you know, this seed treatment has been sold as a seed treatment. It has not been sold to, to the farm community as this is a pesticide. And so, like I said, a lot of farmers and big farming operations across the country, uh, there's, there's lots of, of chat lines and so on going on out here to, that farmers don't really know what, what, what they're using. One of our problems is the extension to, our, our our extension agents that work work with our land grant universities are no more, and so the only education a lot of these farmers are getting is when they go to crop meetings that are sponsored by the chemical companies. That basically those crop meetings are nothing more than a sales meeting to sell the grower on the fact that you need to be, you know, here's what you need to be doing to grow a bigger and better crop, and. As a farmer and, and, and in our own operation with, with, with my friends this year and their farming operation of several thousand acres, we planted a lot of non-treated corn as well as some treated corn. And our cost, I mean, our, our input cost is almost $200 an acre less for, in, for non-treated seed over treated seed. So that's $200 an acre in our pocket before we ever start. But the also thing was there was no really no difference in production between treated and untreated seed. In fact, in some cases, in some of our farms and farming several thousand acres, in some of our operations, the, the non-treated seed outperformed the treated seed by 15 to 17 bushels an acre. Dave, I want to wish you all the best with the lawsuit. I know that it seems like a, a never-ending battle trying to get EPA to really do what they were designed to do. And it's shameful that it's come to this. But uh, we do appreciate all of your time and all the things that you're doing. And once again, I sincerely wish you all the best with the lawsuit. Well, we thank you. And, you know, well, last in closing, I want to tell your listeners out there, you know, I've, I've, I've been co-chairman and chairman of the National IB Advisory Board, which is a group of beekeepers that basically advises beekeepers advise the two national bee organization on these kind of issues and have had a lot of meetings with EPA over these issues and of course what we don't understand as taxpayers and so on is the fact that you know we basically have been told by EPA if you want this to change that you need to sue us and so you know we've tried to do it you know we're not real happy about going after lawsuits you know this is not my idea of the way to do things, but when things don't change and you know that what they're doing is wrong and, you know, they tell you that, you know, if you want this change, you know, the only way you're going to get done is to file a lawsuit against it. So after numerous years, many years of, of sitting down trying to talk to them about this situation, I mean, we've, we've done what they've told us to do. We're going to sue them and, and see where it goes. 
Dave, at some point, I'd like to have you come back on the show to talk about any updates with the suit. I'd be more glad to. And Tom, thank you also for participating in today's show. Well, thank you, June, for all the efforts that you put into this. And Dave, I want to personally thank you for not only for this interview, but for all the time and energy you've put into these questions. And I know full well how much that has been. So we're all grateful to you. Well, thank you again for having me on. And uh, we just uh, hope and pray that the Ninth District Court in California will see what to do what's right. And folks, please tune in each week as Tom and I continue to explore the impact of neonicotinoids on the environment. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.